Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Monday, January 23rd. Hello, listeners. This is Stacey Marie with a quick bit of housekeeping before we dive into the latest episode. Last week, the crypto lender Genesis filed for bankruptcy. For the very latest news on what's happening there, go to Bloomberg.com slash crypto or check out the Bloomberg Crypto newsletter. In the meantime, we'll have much more on that on a later episode this week. Like many crypto and crypto adjacent firms, Traditional banks that diversified into the sector and the asset class have struggled during this crypto winter. And that's been true even before FTX declared bankruptcy in November 2022. We'll find out exactly how many of these institutions are doing in the coming weeks as they'll all start to report earnings, and we will of course be reporting on them here at Bloomberg. But in the meantime, it's fair to say that a lot of the banks that got into crypto benefited when prices were rising and have struggled since last spring because the digital asset sector has just been on a downward trajectory. Here today, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Max Reyes, who is a Bloomberg reporter who covers, among other things, many of these crypto banks. We've seen stuff in this genre before. I don't think we've seen this exact movie before. So it's hard to guess. And I know I'm kind of remiss to throw speculation out there. But I think the big thing we're going to see is more hardship. And the other question is, are regulators going to take more decisive action? Are we going to see more regulatory action? Max, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. What is it that you do at Bloomberg exactly? I cover financial services, both banks, insurance, a little bit of everything. And like everyone else, I've been kind of press ganged into coverage of FTX and the fallout there. Uh, and it sort of ties to the traditional world of finance. Now, what exactly has been happening in the world of crypto and the world of traditional finance that you are, in fact, responsible for that has led to your bylines popping up on lots of stories that have crypto in them? What's interesting about crypto is that even though nominally it's about moving away from centralization, moving away from fiat currency, to get into crypto and to bring retail customers into it, you need to have a place to put U.S. dollars and you need to have a way to send U.S. dollars to other people in the space. And that's where mm -hmm. traditional banks come in. And we're talking about primarily regional banks, smaller banks that decided they'd be willing to forge these business relationships with cryptocurrency companies, that's exchanges, that's miners in some cases, that sort of thing, and say, we have a platform, we have a banking license or a charter, we can essentially be a depository, right? A place for you to put your cash that you get from these operations, your US dollars, your euros in some cases, and you can use our platform to send this fiat currency to other people. We're not gonna to touch your crypto, unless, you know, cases of custody. But primarily what we're talking about uh, is a sort of system that allowed this 
some folks call it an on-ramp or an off-ramp for U.S. dollars and crypto to kind of go back and forth between these two otherwise segmented, segregated financial systems. So it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of the banks that you cover, their exposure to crypto came not through, oh, we're buying a bunch of Bitcoin, but we're going to have customers and clients who are themselves crypto companies or crypto exchanges or crypto lenders, and we will be their banking partner. Exactly. That's exactly the case. There were, however, and there are still a couple of institutions that do have more direct exposure to crypto. How does that work? In those cases, there there are a few examples. One thing that some folks do, primarily Silvergate, is they lend against Bitcoin as collateral. They'll take your Bitcoin, not literally take it, but they'll say, <laughs> we'll give you a loan. It'll be collateralized by this Bitcoin that you're handing to us. And then if the Bitcoin value dips between a certain level, you'll receive a margin call from us. You know, we'll start to liquidate your position. That's, that's one thing we've seen. The other hand, and this is... Some of the more traditional players have gotten into this or want to get into this. We're talking BNY Mellon, U.S. Bank, is custody. And that means they're literally just saying, you hand us, not the literal keys, there are literal keys involved, but the metaphorical keys to your cryptocurrency, we'll hold on to that for you. We'll keep it safe. We're a bank. That's what banks do. People have been handing us valuable stuff forever. And now we're just going to do that with these virtual tokens. As you put it, like very, very traditional banking type responsibilities. Why did it all go wrong? That's <laughs> I, I think the the answer has three letters and it's FTX, right? But <laughs> but uh, to to be more specific, the the issue here for for these banks, and specifically the ones that are dealing with, I'd say turmoil, trouble, are the folks who really double down on crypto. We're talking Provident Bank. We're talking most specifically Silvergate. Um, other folks who have seen shares definitely weaker, not to the same degree, but definitely weakness there, like Signature Bank. The issue is that there's been panic in the crypto markets because FTX revealed that someone who, or an organization that was thought to be one of the most stable players in the space wasn't, right? You know, this this the foundations were not there, and so you had a panic. You had, in, in Silvergate's case, a bank run in which people were pulling deposits out of the bank because they were worried. And there's also just less, um, you know, trading, less activity in the world of crypto because folks are losing money, right? So that combined together means that if you are a, anyone who has doubled down on crypto as your, your bread and butter, the main thing you're doing, you're going to be in five, you know, a tough spot. In January, Silvergate announced uh, reorganization. And, and keep in mind as well that not the only ones talking about layoffs and having to cut spending. We're seeing this across various folks that operate in the crypto space. It's just that specific to these banks, they're offering traditional financial services. They have a bank charter. They have FDIC insurance uh, and other sort of access to funds that a traditional crypto player that doesn't have a bank charter would, would not be able to, uh, to touch. Those banks, because of their charters, because they have these, you know, they have access to like federal pools of money that other crypto native organizations don't have access to, they're essentially able to like bail themselves out using government or federal funds. And that 
that's happening even though those bailouts came because they were speculating on an asset class that not every regulator is super happy for them to be involved with in the first place. What What's happening there? What is the sentiment from regulators around this right now? Yeah, that's definitely one major criticism, one that's definitely been voiced by a lot of folks, especially short sellers looking at these stocks. The The answer on what regulators are saying is kind of disappointing, but it's it's sort of not much. Essentially, the, the word from the OCC, the Fed, and the FDIC, which put out a joint letter in January, is be very cautious. You know, they're, they're really worried about the potential systemic risks presented by these digital tokens if the contagion from crypto were to spread into the traditional banking system. Folks would rather see this happen at these smaller regional players that are not, you know, important to the kind of fabric of the financial system, the global financial system. But that's kind of cold comfort to folks who are worried about taxpayer dollars going to cover what is a a very risky and untested space. Up next, you'll hear more from Max Reyes on what we can expect in 2023 as it relates to these crypto-exposed banks. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a fact that I didn't know, but Provident Bank, one of the ones that you mentioned, its first chairman fought under George Washington in the Revolutionary War. This is like, this is a bank that has had generations of relationships and they've kind of crashed on their crypto exposure. So it's not that these banks are new. They have had successful businesses in some cases for, you know, hundreds of years. Why did they get into crypto in the first place? Like, what was the attraction to them? The big thing that you have to keep in mind when it comes to regional banks, and that's, you know, these banks that are smaller, that are focused on specific states or specific chunks of the country, is that they've had a lot of competition for a long time. Until recently, especially during the pandemic, they were dealing with this very low rate environment. They were dealing with this inability to keep up with spending on technology and resources and encroachment by the largest U.S. banks. So they had to specialize. And that's something a lot of analysts have talked about. It's something that regulators are aware of. And sometimes that specialization comes in the form of focusing on real estate. In the case Mm -hmm. of Silicon Valley Bank, you know, they really doubled down on their interest in funding and and working with startups and venture capital funds and that sort of thing. And in the case of these banks we're talking about right now, they kind of hitched their wagon to cryptocurrency because it was an area that other folks, other banks were not dealing with. It was an area where they thought if they took the right risk attitude, the right stance, they could do it in a way that would be profitable without introducing too much risk. But what we've seen in in several cases, right, is that I guess you could say the foundations of the industry were not there to support the sort of, let's call it an eggs in one basket strategy. Mm -hmm. It has not been as sustainable or sustainable to the extent that you would want the business model of a financial institution to be. 
for some of these organizations, when they, and I'll use Silvergate as an example, came out and said, hey, we're going to issue our own stablecoin or we're going to become, you know, the leading experts on how you custody crypto assets for customers, which was kind of one of the press releases put out by U.S. Bank, which is one of the largest regional banks in the in the United States. What does 2023 hold for the prospects of these kinds of banks, especially as it relates to crypto? Yeah, if I, if I knew, I, I don't think I'd be in this room necessarily. <laughs> I, I think we're going to see a lot more just of this pain, this bloodletting. I'm not going to kind of, I don't have a crystal ball to look into, and I, I don't think I'm allowed to make any outsized projections as a reporter here at Bloomberg. But fundamentally, what people are going to be looking for is whether or not these banks can, I guess, weather the storm, let's call it. If you look at Silvergate, its track record, this isn't the first crypto winter it's gone through. But, you know, when the last time this came around, to my knowledge, they weren't yet public, right? So it's the kind of thing where not only is the bank larger in scale and kind of prominence, but also there are just more eyes on it. And the last crypto winter also did not feature the collapse of this player seen as the adult in the room, right, in the, in the form of FTX. So I, I think it's hard to draw comparisons or through lines. Uh, you know, I hate using the word unprecedented, and I'm pretty sure if I use it again in a sentence, I get like a golden watch or um, a free McDonald's sandwich. But we've seen stuff in this genre before. I don't think we've seen this exact movie before. So it's hard to guess. And I know I'm kind of remiss to throw speculation out there. But I think the big thing we're going to see is more hardship. And the other question is, are regulators going to take more decisive action? Are we going to see more regulatory action? We've obviously already seen regulators looking to FTX. We've yet to see specific investigations of these financial institutions when it comes to their dealings with crypto. But there are questions about it. Lawmakers have raised questions in letters. Right. Senator Warren, among others, have mm-hmm. issued letters asking questions. Yeah. but and, and that's the thing is that for the most part, what we're talking about amounts to, to questions raised by folks kind of outside the rooms, but not necessarily the regulators, the banks themselves. And I think that's what we're all waiting on you know, is whether or not another shoe is going to drop and that on top of these kind of really difficult market and fundamental challenges, whether or not regulators will step up and and say something. And I I think that's one of the big questions that I'm going to be, you know, pondering. (laughs) And uh, hopefully writing stories about. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I I don't just stand in a room and and think. I've I've been told Think deep thoughts, but not file any stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish, I wish. Our jobs would be so much easier if we only had to think and not then write things down. Um, (laughs) Max, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Bloomberg reporter Max Reyes. You can find more of his reporting in the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. And be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, which is also called Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.